Amen. Well, welcome to a brand new series of messages that we're entitling Character References. And really, this is much more than a a new sermon series. It's an all-church spiritual growth campaign. And I mentioned earlier this book, and again, I want to emphasize that these books are free. Pick one up. Uh, Each person should have one because it has devotionals as well as small group material written by people that you know. Um, We're asking for each of you to be fully engaged uh, in these weeks uh, because we are tying together, again, personal devotions, small groups and our sermons each Sunday morning so that we will be immersed in one of the greatest books in the Bible, uh, the Epistle of James. Uh, This marvelous epistle um, provides a framework and a backdrop to what it means to live out our faith. So you believe in Jesus? That's good. Glad to hear that. Now, how are you going to live your life in the face of adversity and in a broken world? And in order to live in an adversarial world and to live victoriously, Jesus says that what you need above all else is character. Character born of a transformed life by the power of Christ that lives within you. A life that is consumed with radical love of Jesus. And because of how he has loved you, how then should you live? That's what we're talking about uh, these weeks in character references. So that's what James is all about. When you look at the epistle uh, and you see different themes and different sections in the epistle, it talks about character and different aspects of character. For instance, um, someone who lives a life of faith. That's the kind of character you need to face an adversarial world. One who serves others is another character trait. Or one who avoids temptations. Or one who lives a life of integrity. In other words, throughout the entire epistle, the five chapters in James, he says over and over again this phrase, character matters. It matters how you live your life. You believe in Jesus? That's wonderful. You've given your heart to Christ? That's amazing. But now that you have, how are you going to live out your faith? Uh, Last October, uh, we were in search of a new children's pastor. And we had uh, many applications, dozens of applications. We narrowed it down to about three that we interviewed. And one of those three that we interviewed was Barb Ellis, our present children's pastor. And when uh, David and I met with her, uh, she, her resume was amazing. She's served as a children's pastor for many years and in uh, different venues, a lar- very large church in the Seattle area and other churches and has great track record. And as we interviewed her, uh, this uh, amazing woman with a love for Jesus and a desire to see children come to know Christ just was right there in front of us. And after the interview, David and I looked at each other and said, she's too good to be true. Uh, So how do we find out if what she has told us and what her resume tells us is true? Character references. So we called her former pastor. We called her former employees. And sure enough, uh, what we discovered uh, in finding out from her character references about her, that she was the real deal. She was genuine. And uh, what she had told us and what her heart uh, portrayed was truly who she was. So character references. It's really important to know who you are and who you are hiring because character matters. 
I pulled from the Internet a, uh, a character reference uh, list, and this is where you fill in about your character. This was from uh, Springvale Academy, a Christian high school in Owasso, Michigan. And they list 12 different character uh, references, character traits. Responsibility, work ethic, leadership, emotional stability, judgment, cooperation, integrity, communication, uh, initiative, motivation, appearance. Appearance, you have four choices, makes an outstanding first impression, is well-groomed and makes good appearance, dresses casually, or the fourth is, is typically sloppy. So I'm not sure who would mark that if you're trying to get a job. But those are some of the uh, character references that they uh, expect to know who you are as a candidate for their job. Now, if you don't pay attention to character references and you hire someone anyway, this is what could happen. Now, these are actual quotes taken from performance evaluations after someone has been hired. Listen to these. These are actual quotes. Since my last report, this employee has reached rock bottom and now shows signs of starting to dig. Okay, so, so that's, that's not a good character. You hired this person and that's not a good performance evaluation. Here's another one. His men would follow him anywhere, but only out of morbid curiosity. Okay, again, that's, you don't want that in your performance evaluation. Another one. I would not allow this employee to breed. Now, <laughs> that, that's saying something really, really negative. Here's another one. This associate is really not much of a has-been, but more of a definitely won't be. Okay, that you don't want to hire that person. Another one. Works well when under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap. Okay? Uh, another one. When she opens her mouth, it seems that this is the only, only to change whichever foot was previously in there. Another one. He would be out of his depth in a parking lot puddle. Uh, another one. This young lady has delusions of adequacy. Another one. He sets low personal standards and then consistently fails to achieve them. And finally, this employee should go far. And the sooner he gets kicked out the exit, the better. See, this is why character matters. You don't want to hire somebody and then find out some of that. So in the next 12 weeks leading up to Easter, we want to investigate in-depth character references that have been offered by James. From sermons, small groups, individual study, uh, I just want to make a couple of recommendations as we get started. Now, we start the uh, small group stuff the week of February 6th. So starting after next Sunday, February 6th, we'll start our small groups. And that's what we want you to sign up for. So uh, just uh, three recommendations as you go through this uh, study. Number one, read James every week. Okay, it's five chapters. They're short chapters. Uh, Bill read chapter one this morning. Read James every week. So Monday, read chapter, uh, chapter one. Tuesday, chapter two. And then take Saturday and Sunday off. But we want you to read James every single week. So over the 12 weeks of this course, you'll have read the book of James 12 times. The second thing is this, I'd recommend. If you miss a sermon, listen online. We put all the sermons online uh, Monday morning. So if you miss a sermon, if you miss a week, you're out of town, you're sick, something like that, make sure that you listen to it online. And the third thing I really want to recommend is to get in a small group. Again, we're just asking for these 10 weeks of small groups uh, because character really is learned in community. So we encourage you to join a grow group and uh, get started that way. So let's get started. Today is an overview of James, who he was, 
Who was he writing to? And what was the context into which he was writing this letter? Now, most of us know a little bit of history, and we know what happened at Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. Uh, if you look at what happened, and I'm going to show you a brief clip from the movie Pearl Harbor, uh, you will notice that everybody was going through their daily, normal lives, and then everything changed. Let's take a look. kind of context in which James wrote his epistle. Everything was going wrong. You're eating breakfast, you're brushing your teeth, you're starting your day, you have plans and dreams, appointments, you're doing life normally, and then everything is turned upside down. Bombs are exploding, chaos all around, running for cover, fearing for your life. Now, what do I do? What do I do? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. At these moments of crisis, like the times that we saw on the screen at Pearl Harbor, like what happened a few weeks ago in Tucson, in these times of crisis when everything seems normal and all of, this, all of a sudden everything changes, what do you do? How do you live your life? At those moments, that's when character matters the most. I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. That's the book of James. In a world of chaos and death and persecution, James wrote to believers who were scattered throughout the Asia Minor because of threats and persecution. 
Now, the book was written probably around 45 A.D., which places it one of the very earliest New Testament books written, even before the Gospels. So James was writing in a time when there was complete and utter chaos. Now, we also know that uh, James was stoned to death when at, in A.D. 62, according to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. But this time that he wrote his epistle, a mere a scant decade after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, the author was James. Uh, it was a common name in Jesus' day. In fact, one of the disciples, one of the sons of Zebedee was named James. And some, there's been some controversy over which James it was that wrote this epistle. But most theologians believe that it was James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, you say half-brother of Jesus. Uh, yeah, Jesus, after he was born, Mary and Joseph were betrothed. They married and they had many other uh, sons and daughters. And they would have been Jesus' half-brothers and sisters. And we know this from, from the Gospels. So James was most likely the half-brother of Jesus. And later, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So what's happening that bombs are flying and bullets are going all around us and everything is changing. What's happening in A.D. 45? Well, persecution started under Claudius in about A.D. 39. And here he began with boycotts and then imprisonments and then beatings and then death. Where Claudius, even before Nero came into power, was the one that had the idea of putting Christians in an arena and then allowing wild animals to attack them and to tear them from limb to limb. So even though Nero was the one that was famous for it, Claudius began that practice years before. So these Christians are trying to live a normal life. They've given their hearts to Christ. They're following Jesus. He's, he was uh, crucified, resurrected, and risen. Again, he was ascended into heaven. And they're trying to follow their faith and to figure out what it means to be uh, live a life of Christ. And in the midst of all of that, all of this chaos breaks out. Christians are taken on the streets and they're beaten right in the middle of the street. They are taken out of their homes and imprisoned. And many of them are even killed. Now, we have this first glimpse of what it was like in the days of Claudius uh, by looking at what happened to Saul, who was one of the um, persecutors of the church, who later became what? Paul. So Saul, who was a, uh, a convert to Christianity, very devout Jew, a very religious man, a very intent on keeping the church pure. When this movement of Christianity came along, he was at the forefront of trying to destroy it. So here's Saul and he finds this man, Stephen. And Stephen has been preaching the good news of Christ and saying how that you can be transformed by Christ. And there's some, some steam was getting behind this movement. When Christ died, there was probably 500 Christians. By this time, there's probably 5,000. And it's just starting to spread all through Jerusalem and the, and, the, and the areas around it. And they were getting very worried. So what do we do? Well, the best way is to squash that movement right away. So here's Stephen preaching the good news. And you know what happened to him. He was stoned. And so the people were hearing uh, Stephen's message. They covered their ears literally and were screaming, stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. And so they started to stone him. And we pick this up in Acts chapter 7, uh, verses 59 through 8, 3. Now, by the way, all of these texts are in your sermon notes. Also, we'll put them up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. Acts chapter 7. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. That was another way of saying he died. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them into prison. So you're getting the idea. This normal way of living, sitting in your house having breakfast, you know, maybe some yogurt and, and a bagel. Who knows what they ate in those days. And just having And all of a sudden, somebody comes in, comes into your house and drags you out and puts you in prison. Later, those same people took you to the Colosseum. And if you did not confess that Jesus was not your Lord, if you did not say, I do not believe in him, they would literally allow you to be torn limb to limb. This is going on all throughout Jerusalem and the surrounding communities. Homes were lost. Jobs were lost. Possessions and very life were lost. They were scared to death. Bombs were falling. Bullets were flying flying around. No end in sight. And so you could hear these early Christians, just like they did at Pearl Harbor, you can hear these early Christians say, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to run to the hills? Are we supposed to deny Christ? What are we supposed to do? In the midst of this terror, James, the brother of Jesus, and their pastor, the pastor in Jerusalem, Hears their cries. He hears them crying out, what do we do? Now, James, consider his situation. He has no time for theologizing. He has no time for theory. There's no time for philosophy. There's no time to stop and pause and contemplate and think about the big things. There's no time for a focus group or a planning team. No time for reflection or quiet time. Bombs are falling. Bullets are flying. People are being carried away on stretchers. And everybody's yelling at James, what are we supposed to do? Now, at this point, I want to insert a football analogy. Now, I know football season's almost over. I know you're weary of my football analogies. But this one, please hang with me. This one really works. Okay? So next Sunday's the Super Bowl. And uh, Pittsburgh's going to win and all the, you know, so we all know that. But uh, so Pittsburgh and Green Bay are going to play. And the Super Now, there'll be a time in the fourth quarter, most likely, when uh, the game is in the balance. And uh, one play could make the difference between victory and defeat. And the 70,000 people in the Dallas Dome are screaming. Everybody in your living rooms with uh, barbecue sauce on your chin are going to be yelling. And it's going to be exciting. And there's going to be this moment in the game where something has to happen to win, secure a victory, or to lose the game. And so the quarterback, there's a timeout called, the quarterback comes jogging over to the sideline and looks the head coach in the eyes. And here's what the head coach is going to say. You know, I'm not sure what we should do. Um, maybe we should gather all the team around and, 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 and have a democracy and, and, and take a vote. Maybe they have some ideas that maybe I haven't considered. You know, let, let's just stop for a moment and, and just ponder what, what are some of the possibilities. 
And as you're doing this, of course, the officials uh, uh, blow the whistle, you're flagged for delay of game, move back five yards, and, and then another five yards. And pretty soon, what you decide isn't going to matter anyway because you're in the other person's end zone. So, so, so here you are, you're contemplating. That's not how it's going to work. The quarterback's going to come off the field with dirt and sweat and blood on his face, uh, just panting from wanting and, and looking in the coach's eyes and basically saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to win this game? This really matters. This is the moment where we can win the Super Bowl. What are we? No time for indecision. No time for theorizing. No time for focus groups. No time for planning committees. What are we going to do? And so the coach sends him in with a play and it either works or it doesn't work. But that is James. James is the coach. And, and James is not sitting back kind of like this. You know, now, now here's, here's the deal. Uh, James and Paul seem to be counter to each other. Some of you that have been around the Bible most of your life understand that. Uh, because Paul talks about faith in Christ and he talks about grace so much. And James is talking about, okay, now what are we going to do? How are we going to get our hands dirty? And uh, even Martin Luther, as great as he was, said that, ah, James is, no, I'm not sure I believe in James. He called the epistle of James a right straw-y epistle. He said, I'm not sure I like James. Now, you need to know that by the end of um, Martin Luther's life, he had come to understand how important the book of James was in the canon and, uh, and had no problem with it. But, but the difference is pretty star- startling. Paul, wonderful intellect, a man of action, but also a man of many words. And in the book of Romans, for instance, Paul is talking about theology. And it's like Paul is sitting back and saying, now, here's what you need to believe. And he's famous for run on sentences. If you look in the Greek, it goes on and on and on and on. And so he's he's long, you know, he's talking about redemption and sanctification and propitiation. And people are scratching their heads. And and Paul's just just, oh, it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And so that's the book of Romans and some of Paul's other letters. There's this, this wonderful sense of let's get in a group and talk about what this means. But James... No, 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 no. With James, the bombs are falling. The bullets are flying. The church is screaming, what are we supposed to do? What's our next move? What are we supposed to do? And in that context, James writes the epistle. In that context, James answers the question, here's what we need to do. We're not going to have focus groups. We're not going to think about it. Here's what you need to do. Boom, boom, boom. You need character. You need to do this. You need to do that. And that's why some people think that James is all about works. It's not. It's about living out your faith in a real world. It's about getting in the game. Not arms folded with a stern look. But it's, it's James leaning forward to the church uh, with tears in his eyes and, and sorrow for these people that have been killed. And, and, and leaning forward and, and pressing into the church and saying, okay, here's what we've got to do. So here's how I would state the message of James. Straight talk to real people who have real faith trying to survive real life. That's the epistle of James. And that's what we're going to spend our next uh, 12 weeks in. 12 weeks sermons, 10 weeks in your small groups. I hope you can relate to that message. And I I know some of you do, because I know, and Pastor Scott said it this morning in our worship time, I know people in our church who are struggling with sickness. I mean, sickness that leads to death kind of sickness. And addictions. And marriages that are broken. And jobs that are lost. And broken hearts. And financial things. And there's bombs falling. And there's bullets flying over your head. 
And it isn't easy stuff. This is hard. And it takes character to work through this. And, and you, like me, there are many times in my life when I've said, okay, God, what do I do? What do I do? And that's when you want to turn to the epistle of James. But it's not easy. It's hard. Have you ever gone to the mall and out of, you know, uh, high health or one of these places, there's a table out front that says, lose weight now. Okay, and you read that and say, oh, okay, cool, it's January. So go, maybe they have some samples. You take a pill and you eat it and nothing happened. You know, I mean, you advertise, lose weight now, right? I mean, that's the kind of society we're in, right? We, we want fast food. We want fast fixes. We want to lose weight now, not in a, six months, but right now. Or you go to the, the bookstore. And let me tell you a couple of books that you won't find there because people won't buy them. One book you won't find there is uh, 10 Painful Lot Steps to a Better Life. You won't find that. It's not in there. Or seven strenuous steps to happiness. You, you won't find it. But you do find that reality, that truth in the book of James. James doesn't blow smoke. It's going to be hard, he says. You need character. Jesus, I can't do this alone. I need your help. It's not about works that lead to redemption. It's about someone who's redeemed trying to survive. Christian life is living out our faith. What do we do? We've all been, some of you are in that position right now. All of us have been in that position in our lives. What do we do? Now with this background, let me read for you a couple of verses that Bill read earlier. Uh, Verses 2 and 4 and then verse 12. This is from James chapter 1. Once again, please hear the word of God. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, that's a verse we read and we say, let's take that out of the Bible. I don't even like that. You know, let's, you know, some people have their Bibles that are all cut up because verses are taken out of it. They don't like, well, you can't take it out. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face the trial, uh, face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So how do we survive the adversity of living in 21st century America? How do we survive persecution? That's the overall theme of this book. And what kind of character traits do we need to survive in a broken world? That's what we're going to look at these coming weeks. James responds to the question, what do we do with three powerful statements? The first is this. Adversity strengthens your faith. Adversity strengthens your faith. So Charlie Brown is walking dejectedly with his head down along with his friend Lucy. And as she's walking beside him, she says to Charlie Brown, look at it this way, Charlie Brown. Look at it this way. These are your bitter days. These are your days of hardship and struggle. But if you'll just hold your head up high and keep on fighting, someday you'll triumph. Charlie Brown replies, gee, do you really think so, Lucy? Lucy snaps back, frankly, no. Maybe you feel like Charlie Brown. Why me? Why so many trials and tests? 
Well, note a couple things about adversity that we find in that first chapter. The first is this. You will experience adversity in life. Now, if you haven't already discovered that, I am sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But that is one of the truisms of the life that we live in. You will experience adversity in life. The text says when, not if. Now, it's not always because you're bad or God's mad. Sometimes, I mean, there's different ways to experience adversity. We can do something stupid. We can sin. Yeah, that'll bring on adversity. Somebody else can do something stupid, sin, that impacts us. That'll bring adversity. But mostly this text is just talking about the adversity of living in a broken and sinful world. You're there. You can be perfect in your behavior, which you won't be, or you wouldn't be here. You'd be at some other church. Uh, You can be perfect as you can be and uh, go through life doing really well and making all the right decisions. And you'll still face adversity time and time again in your lives. John said it this way in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. So, again, if you hadn't heard that before, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but that's the truth. Adversity is a human experience. Adversity is a live on this planet experience. You can't get away from it. The second thing about adversity is this. Adversity strengthens our faith. Now, my father, when I was uh, in junior high school, uh, my father was a big fan of Jack LaLanne. Jack LaLanne just recently passed away. I think he was 95 years old or something. Amazing specimen of a man, the way he took care of himself and exercised and ate and all of that. Anyway, my my dad, even back in the early 60s, would watch Jack LaLanne on television, a black and white show. He used to do his one arm push ups and all that. It was a great show and it was on for many years. But my father had the idea to help the boys in our church. And so he started what he called the Samson Club. And the Samson Club was a club to help boys get stronger physically and at the same time get stronger spiritually. So he would teach us a Bible story, and that was cool. And uh, then he would uh, teach us how the proper way to lift weights. Now, this was like 1962. So this was before weights were really... Even uh, pro teams and college teams didn't use uh, weights very much in those days. But he would teach us the proper way to lift weights, to curl a military press and all those bench press and all those things. And, and, we would be this, and then he would tell us about how to become strong spiritually. Well, the whole idea behind weightlifting is to put pressure on your muscles and pressure on your muscles produces bigger muscles. So when you lift a weight, when you curl some heavy weight, you can feel in your biceps the the, the tremendous pressure. And it gets bigger and bigger over time. So pressure or pushing or adversity builds muscles. Well, the same thing happens in our faith as, as children of God. One of the things that our core class is about is to help us grow our spiritual muscles. So, so here, here's what the word, uh, it says in the text, testing your faith. That word testing comes from the word assay. Uh, assay, like an assayer. If you take gold uh, back in the, uh, you know, the, 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 back in the Klondike or back in other places in California where they'd have a gold rush. Uh, so they would uh, take this gold and they would take it to an assayer. And they would see how pure it was and they would they would melt it and 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 all the impurities would come to the top. That was called dross. And they would remove that. And then you would have the pure gold and they would uh, then uh, put a worth to that. So the word testing your faith means to say to determine the worth of your faith 
by allowing the impurities to rise because of heat or adversity. And it shows your care and then your character is what's left. That's that's the biblical way of looking at adversity. Last Lord's Day, uh, Carolyn Jones uh, was in our church uh, from Streetlight Ministry, and she had a powerful testimony. Now, those of you that were in first service last week, um, it's the only time in my ministry life of 30 years of being a pastor where someone in church has gotten, gotten a standing ovation. And, and that was last, and if you were here in the first service, didn't happen in the second service, but if you were in the first service, you, you would have experienced. And, and the reason is this, is that you saw in her, I saw in her, this person who had bombs going off in her life since she was five years old and bullets flying over her head her entire life and all of this adversity and all of this junk and, and that's unfair and that's not right and all of that stuff happening in her life and through the power of Christ... She became this woman who was standing before you last week. That's a James person. That's a James testimony. Everything's going wrong. And in spite of that, I hold on to Jesus and I have character within me that's going to do something great. By the way, just let me give a a, a little commercial here. If you're interested, and I didn't say this in the second service last week, if you're interested in helping Carolyn Jones, go to streetlightphoenix.com and it'll direct you how you can help her in her ministry through Streetlight. She's, she needs support, financial support, and I think uh, we can help her with that. So I encourage you to do that. So, so here's a person last week that we saw that was building these incredible spiritual muscles. In the midst of all of this adversity, in the midst of bombs flying over her head and bullets flying around her, all of this adversity. So, so that's the first thing that we see about the, that, that James wants us to experience. The second thing is this. Testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now I'm going to show you, and there won't be any sound to this, but I want to show you, and it's kind of uncomfortable to watch, but some of you will remember this. Let's, show, let's throw this up here. Uh, there we go. Anybody recognize this, uh, this video? Wait a minute and you'll see. Remember that? 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. A first ever women's marathon. The cameras noticed Gabrielle Anderson, shoes, trying to complete the marathon. Weak knees, wobbly legs. I don't know about you, but this is uncomfortable for me even to watch. Uh, you know, weak knees, uh, you know, just cowardly can't stand. But the crowd cheered her because of concern and respect. It took her six minutes to finish the last 400 meters. Six minutes. And she did that. And, and you look at this and you say, oh, man, what? And look at her just staggering towards the goal line. And this is one of the most remarkable scenes we've ever seen in an Olympics. Now, watch this when she crosses the goal line. They go out and they catch her. To me, that's, that's just an amazing portrait of what was happening in James' day. It's an amazing portrait of, of what's happening when, when your legs are weak and your knees are wobbling and you don't know if you can take one step further. And James says, he says, come on, you can do this. You have Christ in you. You need the character to, to withstand this and to persevere through this. You can do this. When Sherry and I lost Tyler in 1989, there were days we couldn't get out of bed. But there were people in our church that came beside us and said, we're going to be with you in this. We're going to do this together. Come on, you can do this. You can breathe again. You can stand up again. You can walk again. You can live again. You can do this. Perseverance, if you look at it, the Chinese character of perseverance, is continuing to stagger with a dagger in your heart. That's what perseverance is in Chinese. Continuing to stagger 
with a dagger in your heart. Perseverance is continuing when bombs are falling and bullets are flying and, and life is crushing. And some of you have experienced that. Some of you are experiencing that now. Beatitudes said, say, blessed are you who experience persecution and who persevere. Knees wobbly, legs weak. Perseverance. In James' day, it was not just words. It wasn't a time for a focus group or a team meeting. It was a time for surviving. A time for figuring out how I'm going to step out of my house without being shot or killed. It was, it was a time of desperation. How can I live this life? But there's a last statement that Paul made in that, those couple of verses that we read. And it's this. Those who persevere receive the crown of life. Listen to verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. In finishing a race in ancient Greek Olympics, their winner would receive a crown and the crown was a replica of the king's crown. And when you wore that crown and people would wear it proudly, it meant that you have won the victory. And it meant that you would walk in the king's presence. And it meant that you would walk with the king's blessings and with some of his riches. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you are staggering, literally, when your knees are weak, when your legs are wobbly, when you can't go another step because of the circumstances in your life, God has promised you a crown of life. He has promised you that you will be in His presence. He has promised you His riches and His blessings. He has promised you the parakletos, which is the Holy Spirit. And parakletos means literally the one who walks beside you. The Bible tells us that He will be with you and never let you go. We sing that song, No, no, He'll never let go of me. Literally what that means from James is this, that He perseveres you. That sounds like odd uh, way of phrasing it. But He, Jesus Christ, perseveres you. He is the one that keeps your legs moving, keep you staggering towards the goal line. He is the one that walks beside you, the one that is before you, behind you, beside you, above you, beneath you, within you. He is the one who is going with you. He perseveres you. Bombs dropping, bullets flying, legs wobbly, knees weak. Don't give up. Don't give up. He perseveres you. And he said this, I will never let you go. I will never let you go. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, when we look at James, we feel a little bit embarrassed by what we call adversity. We feel a little self-conscious about saying that our situation is difficult, but the reality is, Lord, is that it's our path, it's our way, it's what we experience and sometimes it can feel awful. It can feel horrible. When you, when you are going through a divorce, it feels like death. 
When you lose a job and your ego is squashed, it feels like you can't even walk again. When you lose a, lose a loved one, a child or a parent or a friend, how can we get up and breathe again? Father, you have promised us through this glorious epistle that we call James that no matter what adversity we are going through, no matter how many bombs are dropping and bullets are flying, that you have promised the parakletos that you will be with us. You will walk beside us. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here this morning that as we begin this journey of faith through the book of James, that they will walk steadfastly. And Lord, if they're getting closer to you, there's a good chance that they're going to experience some of those bombs and bullets. There's a good chance that the enemy's not going to like that and, and cause some problems. But Lord, may we persevere. May we walk steadfastly, even with wobbly legs and knees that don't work. May we walk toward the goal line, which is that time when we say, Lord Jesus, I want to spend eternity with you. But Father, I pray for everyone in the room today that they would recognize that you have promised to be with us always. And I pray, Lord, that through this study, we would be empowered and inspired to live our life in Christ, no matter what the circumstances. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dwayne.